Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. This month we have a powerful message to consider as we near the end of time. The great controversy is becoming more and more apparent in the events that take the attention of the world. The dramatic events unfolding are a harbinger of a better world, a place where there will never again be any sorrow, pain, anguish, or hate. This world is full of those things. This planet is a dangerous place to live. And I'm looking forward to the day of Jesus' return, aren't you? Highwood in Australia continues to grow. Your support for Keep the Faith and our work in Australia is very encouraging and gives me the sense that God is truly in it. Over and over again, our guests are thrilled with the blessings they receive while attending Highwood Health Retreat. They are hungering for something, but they don't know what it is. They sense that there's something special about Highwood that they have never encountered before. You and I know what that is. It is the Spirit of God that touches them with His presence and power. They are surprised by it, and they love it. Keep the Faith has just started a special monthly report. This short e-letter, designed especially for our subscribers, includes miracles at Highwood Health Retreat, life-changing experiences of our listeners, and other amazing developments going on at Keep the Faith Ministry. Just ask us for your own subscription to our e-newsletter. It's free, and we'll be glad to send it to you. You have to have an email address or access to the web. You won't want to miss the wonderful news of God's power among our listeners, guests, and others whose lives have been changed by the work of Keep the Faith. You won't want to miss even one report, so if you haven't already registered your email with us, please call us, email us, or write us to make sure that you are on the list. As 2013 gets underway, I hope that you're praying every day for your own soul that you may be faithful to Jesus Christ, who is your only hope of escape from this evil world. Without Him, you have no chance of survival in the final conflict between the forces of evil and good. It's absolutely certain that good will triumph. It already has through the death of Christ on the cross. But since God does not force obedience and love... He has to let evil manifest itself and play out in the real world. The contrast between God's faithful people and those who follow the Antichrist will be so stark that it will unmask the real agenda of the evil one so that everyone can make a clear choice. And as the evil one is given more reign to manifest his power, God increases the power of his Holy Spirit to counteract him through his people. God intends to show through the lives of his faithful servants that he is loving and trustworthy and that Satan is just the opposite. Those connected to Christ will pass through the tribulation, the most significant time of trouble ever, under the power of God and under his protection. Satan will test them as much as he can, but they will overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Revelation 12.11 Before we begin... Let us bow our heads in prayer and ask for the presence of the Holy Spirit as we study today. Our Father in heaven, we don't know you as we ought. 
We don't understand your ways, because you are beyond finding out. Yet we see the effect of your providence all around us, even in this chaotic world. You have given us your word to reveal to us spiritual understanding, light and truth, and most of all, guidance. Now bless us today as we study your truth and the principles that guide your people in the last days. Lift us up and help us see the clear, bright hope behind the doom and gloom that encompasses this world. Thank you for Jesus, our Lord and Savior. May we tap into his power for victory in our lives over the evil one. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today we're going to look at a prophetic development that has been happening gradually behind the scenes. The masterful work of a hidden hand is building a Europe in the image of the ancient Holy Roman Empire. This is momentous because we are watching the unfolding of the great prophecy of Scripture found in Revelation 13 verse 3, which says that the deadly wound was healed. Let's read the whole passage from verse 1. Revelation 13, 1-3 And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, and his seat, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. A beast in Bible prophecy is a civil authority, or a power that has access to the kings of the earth as well as the merchants of the earth. But this beast is unusual because it has seven heads. It is a conglomeration of powers that unite together to control the earth under religion. This beast eventually enforces false worship on the whole world. This is found in verse 8, which says that all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. This beast represents a power that is so arrogant that it thinks it is God on earth and should be worshipped. The wickedness of this beast, however, is disguised in Christ-like garments. It looks moral and righteous on the surface, but it is corrupt and evil under the veneer. Listen to it from Revelation 17, verses 1 through 7. And there came one of the seven angels, which had seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was the name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman, and the beast which carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. So you see, my friends, this beast is a civil power that also has religious power. 
and it is full of abominations. And it is rebuilding this power as the foundation for its ambitions to gain control of the whole world. There is no religious power on earth that can fulfill this description, even down to the color of the garments worn by its priests and the medals used in its services, other than the Roman Catholic Church. There is no power on the planet that has the global reach and centuries of experience in manipulating the rulers of the world in its own interests, other than the Holy See. If there's going to be a power that controls church and state in the coming globalism, it can only be the Roman Catholic system. Today we're going to look at two important prophetic developments that should make a large impact on your mind because of their spiritual significance. It happens, however, that most people have no idea what is going on behind the scenes to give Rome its power. They are not discerning and don't read the Word of God, so they don't have understanding of prophetic things revealed to them. Some are afraid to watch the signs of the times. Perhaps they think they won't happen if they ignore them. Perhaps they fear that they would have to change their lifestyles if they knew how close the coming of the Lord in the clouds of glory really is. Meanwhile, the beast and the profligate woman, the civil power and churchcraft, continue to make stealthy progress toward their goal of world control through their political and moral influence. Most people will only find out when it is too late. Recent papal movements have been astonishing. The two things that we are going to analyze today involve the most recent papal call for global moral force with authority to guide the New World Order and the hidden force behind Europe's top leaders, guiding them in their project to restore Rome's power through the ancient Holy Roman Empire. Most news commentators don't see the connection between this hidden force and the direction that Europe is taking. They just think that Europe's leaders are chaotically dismantling European sovereignty and making irrational decisions concerning the economic crisis. But they are undiscerning and create distraction from the real issues driving European integration. Today we're going to look at the rise of a spiritual force in Europe that is steering its destiny according to its own wishes. And the two issues are intimately linked together. Many people think that all that is going on in Europe is just the natural consequence of bad choices, greedy markets, and national mismanagement. But that is only on the surface. There are forces working behind the scenes that organize human nature and take advantage of it for their own purposes, particularly to gain wealth, power, and especially enormous influence with the powerful individuals who sway nations. The underlying principle involved in today's world is that without first gaining control of Europe, the beast will never rise to dominate or manipulate the rest of the world. After the great Protestant Reformation of the 16th and 17th centuries, Rome lost its footing in Europe. Shortly after that time, she established the Order of the Jesuits under Ignatius Loyola for the purpose of overthrowing Protestantism. The Jesuits rapidly spread themselves over Europe, and wherever they went, there followed a revival of popery. That's Great Controversy, page 235. The Jesuits became the prime movers in the Counter-Reformation, which was designed to counter the Protestants. The Jesuits believe that the end justifies the means. They've been very successful at achieving an underlying influence on church and state through disguise and deception. They work gradually, 
carefully and stealthily until under various disguises the Jesuits worked their way into offices of state, climbing up to be counselors of kings and shaping the policy of nations. Now that's page 235 of the same book. Europe, which was once the land of the Reformation, is now emerging as a united empire once again under the principles of the Roman Catholic Church. This is a prize that the Vatican has been working toward for centuries. Europe's leaders have been hand-picked by concealed influences that want to see Rome back on the throne of Europe. Remember that without the papacy on the throne of Europe, it will be impossible for it to achieve its prophetic destiny, the rulership of the whole world. Recently, Benedict XVI called for a global authority that would rule the world in the interests of the common good and to ensure global peace and justice. During his address at a meeting of the Pontifical Council for Justice and Peace, the Pope quoted John XXIII, who had called for the construction of a world community with a corresponding authority to serve the common good of the human family. By quoting a previous papal authority, he adds strength to his own words. Benedict said that the proposed body would not be a superpower concentrated in the hands of a few, which would dominate all peoples exploiting the weakest. The authority in question, he said, must be understood first and foremost as a moral force, a power to influence in accordance with reason, that is, a participatory authority limited by law in its jurisdiction. Friends, do not be deceived by the nice-sounding words. Do you know what the Pope is really calling for? He knows that no purely political authority can possibly have moral force, nor could it rule by reason. For with political parties, or within political parties, there is always selfish purposes at its heart, not the common good, as he calls it, or true justice. What he is saying, then, is that the world needs a global authority with powers that are beyond those of political entities. It cannot be a superpower, like a one-world government of a solely political nature. He is calling for a moral authority mixed with political power, or rather, that involves political power, to accomplish its so-called moral ends. He is asking the world to install the papacy as this moral authority. Since the papacy has a pious moral appearance, and because it has experience in building relationships with national and international political entities that have completely different and opposing interests and agendas. He knows that he does not have to name the papacy, since the papacy is the only real voice calling for morality in the marketplace, the economy, and the political and social order. He knows that when it comes right down to the bottom line, there is only one entity in the whole wide world that can fulfill the role he is proposing. He knows that there is only one power on the planet that is both a political and moral power. He knows that the only entity that can fulfill this lofty ambition is none other than the papacy itself. And note what he is suggesting it would not be. He is proposing that the new moral authority would not be a superpower. That means that it would not be the United States, with all its superpower military force. The United States and any other potential superpowers, in his view, can only serve the higher purposes of the moral authority. It would not be the United Nations or any conglomeration of nations that would band together to police the world. The United Nations has already demonstrated that it has no moral authority in a thousand ways.
It is merely political and does not rise to the level of a moral power. Nor is he referring to a united Europe, China, Russia, or any other earthly political entity. He is calling for the world, the political world in particular, to come under none other than the moral authority of the Pope. He is using somewhat vague terminology because it would not be appropriate for him to name himself or his office. For this high ideal, he is planting seeds so that others will suggest it. He is opening the door so that there is a clear path for those who want to follow it, right into the lap of Rome. Most people won't have a clue what he's talking about, but the elite insiders understand. The kings of the earth and the merchants of the earth and the mighty men of the earth understand. They walk in the same circles. They're talking to the same people. They acknowledge Rome's moral power. After all, they are continually making trips to the Vatican to consult with the church concerning matters of importance, and Rome influences them to fulfill her objectives. You see, the Pope is saying that the earthly political powers must come under the papacy in order to have a just world in which the social order benefits the common good. To the Pope, this is paramount. It will never happen, he says, if merely political forces govern the world. The world needs a power, a force that has moral influence. Friends, only Christ can bring true social justice. No earthly power, the papacy included, can bring this about. Rome demonstrated for centuries that she could not do it. Instead, she oppressed freedom and liberty and persecuted her advocates and those who disobeyed her dictates. And in the present, by the corruption of her homosexual and pedophile priests, she demonstrates that she still cannot do it. The Pope said that law would limit the moral authority, but the papacy reserves the right to dictate laws because laws have a moral impact on society. The Pope knows that if the political leaders of the world accept his proposal, eventually the Pope will have rulership over them all, the political order itself, through laws established by Rome and in her interests. A moral force with corresponding authority to serve the common good would be an authority that would supersede the lesser political powers. He is saying that they would be participative, but that's about all. They would, in due course, have to yield to the authority of the papacy. Ultimately, Benedict is calling for the papacy to have complete control of the whole world. He talks about limits based in law, but in reality, if what Benedict has envisioned comes to pass, there would be no limits on papal power. It would be a power above all other powers. After all, this is how the papacy has seen itself from time immemorial. This is a fundamental principle of the Vatican, that it is destined to rule the whole world. Oh, friends, I hope you can see it. Pope Benedict XVI is aiming very high indeed. He represents the church or moral religious authority that is represented in Revelation 17 as the woman who rides the beast and sits as a queen in Revelation 18 verse 7 who says in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. He represents that religion that is queen of the world with civil power to go with it and support it. Oh, friends, the deadly wound is being healed. Don't overlook the fact that there is no other religious power in history or at the present time that has this kind of global potential. Rome is not going to miss an opportunity to promote herself and make herself a ruler. But most people miss it. 
most people would shrug their shoulders and say that it really isn't as serious as this, and that the papal remarks are nothing to concern us. But students of prophecy have a very large advantage. They can see what others cannot, because they believe what the Bible says is coming upon the earth. Many people think that this kind of structure for global governance can never happen. They think that it is impossible that the papacy will one day rule over the nations and over the kings and queens of the earth and enforce her dogmas and her religious doctrines and practices on them all. But when a global crisis arises in which there is mortal danger for the whole world, the shocker will be the rise of Rome to the top of the international system of governance. And people, nations, and regions of the world will beg the Pope for leadership. This is not the first time the Pope has called for a global moral authority. In 2009, he published an encyclical called Caritas in Veritate, in which he called for a true world political authority to ensure economic and social justice. This means that the economic forces of the world must be under the control of a moral authority, again a reference to the office of Pope, if there's ever going to be economic and social justice. He even said that the authority needed teeth to enforce its rules on the global economy. But in his speech of December 3, 2012, the Pope even named the Catholic Church as the one with the moral authority, though he denied that it had the political power. The Church, he said, offers principles of reflection, criteria of judgment, and practical guidelines for such an organization, but no concrete legal or political recommendations. So even if there is a moral authority that is a separate entity from the Vatican, the Vatican would still maneuver it with its own set of practical guidelines. This can only be applied to the present time, however, not the future, for once the papacy gains the moral force that the Pope is requesting, it will come up with practical guidelines and find an excuse to impose them wherever possible. The Pope is using words that won't scare the nations away from Rome. But when they really think about what he is saying, they cannot help but draw these conclusions. In October of 2011, the Pontifical Council for Justice and Peace called for the establishment of a central world bank to regulate the global financial industry and the international money supply as a step toward the world authority envisioned by John XXIII and Pope Benedict. So consistently, the popes and papal councils have appealed again and again for the papacy to be placed on the throne of the world. This should not surprise any student of the books of Daniel and Revelation in the Holy Scriptures, because they recognize the key role the papacy plays in end-time events. The Bible pulls back the curtain and reveals the truth of what is coming and sorts out the lies that the multitudes are being told by their political leaders. The papal speech is a very important fulfillment of a number of important prophecies, and you should take heed that these things are happening in your lifetime and mine. But the Pope wasn't finished laying out his agenda. He did not miss the opportunity to pointedly address the new ideologies of hedonism and egoism that gives free rein to sexual indulgence and of a disorderly financial capitalism that damages the real economy. He said they were forces that contribute to make the employee and his work seem minor goods and undermines the family and other foundations of society. What is he talking about with these nice-sounding words?
If you have been paying attention to what the popes and papal leaders have been saying about work, family, and the foundations of society, you will recognize that they always link these key concepts to Sunday worship. So in his papal address, Benedict alluded to Sunday worship without naming it as the foundation of all society, including healthy families, work and life balance, economic and social justice, and unity. The Pope obliquely revealed what is really at the bottom of his agenda to become the world leader. He plans to rule the world with moral force and in so doing enforce Sunday worship globally, thereby fulfilling Revelation 13, in which all nations will bend the knee to Rome's power and authority and worship in the papal way. The promotion of Sunday worship is always underlying papal efforts. Rome is rising, and powerfully so. But that isn't all that has happened recently. As I mentioned before, it is impossible for Rome to gain control of the whole world without first getting control of Europe. This is being accomplished in a very subtle way. It is education at the right level, especially at high school and upward, where formation of a person's emotional identity and direction in life occur. Those who get close to him during this time influence him for the rest of his life. The Jesuits understand this principle. It is well known that the Jesuits are deeply involved in education. They know that through education they get to the hearts of their students, and they know how to build strong bonds that will last for many years. Listen to what is happening in Europe from the Jesuits' own words. Here they are from the Irish Jesuit News website. Readers of the Irish Jesuit News website will have noticed one sign of hope on the European scene, a blessed unity of purpose among three of Europe's leaders, Herman Van Rompuy, President of the European Council, Mario Draghi, President of the European Central Bank, and Mario Monti, the new Prime Minister of Italy. In a recent speech, Van Rompuy reminded listeners that all three were educated by the Jesuits. My two technocrat colleagues share with me an idea of a humane market economy, an idea where I have always dwelled. They share the global economic vision of Pope Benedict's encyclical, Caritas in Veritate. The fact that the Spaniards have just elected another Jesuit alumnus, Mariano Rajoy, as their leader is stirring the lunatic fringe to talk of a Jesuit takeover of Europe, whatever that means. End quote. Notice that the Jesuits make light of the idea that they are guiding Europe behind the scenes. Yet they don't deny it. They accuse those who might suggest that Europe is being taken over by the Jesuits as the lunatic fringe. The so-called lunatic fringe, however, is often right. This is the way all who have exposed conspiracies over the years have been treated before the conspiracies came out in the open. Those who know history acknowledge that the Jesuits played a big part in the post-Reformation era and in the dissolution of the French nation during the French Revolution. These are just a couple of well-known examples. The Jesuits have been active in promoting Rome's agenda in governments, churches, and institutions for centuries. So far, there is no way to tell whether Herman Van Rompuy, Mario Monti, Mario Draghi, or Mariano Rajoy are actual Jesuits or not. It doesn't matter. The Jesuits train them all, and they all have the same perspective about Europe, and note that they are all in top leadership positions of Europe as well. But it is deeper than just a mere coincidence of educational background. Listen to how Herman van Rompuy, head of the European Council, 
describes the Jesuit-trained clique that now runs Europe. I put together my report in very close cooperation with José Manuel Barroso, Jean-Claude Juncker, and Mario Draghi. I don't want to mention Monty by his first name. That would give the impression that he belongs to our group, which is not the case. Our only connection is that he and I both attended Jesuit schools. That is already great progress, I find. It creates unbreakable ties. Mario Monti also studied with the Jesuits, and Mariano Rajoy as well. So there is a Jesuits International. I apologize to the others, but women were excluded. But my four children, including my two daughters, attended Jesuit schools. The world has changed. So let us think about what Rompuy said. Notice that he said that the only connection between himself and Mario Monti is the fact that they both went to Jesuit schools and that it is great progress. In other words, just attending a Jesuit school gives them a common link that influences their thinking and direction. This link assists them in their agenda to resurrect the Holy Roman Empire because they already have a Jesuit-informed view of the world and of Europe. They understand what they are to do and therefore they can make great progress without a lot of distraction from the real goal. It is their whole focus. In fact, the more Jesuits or Jesuit-trained people that are in power in Europe, the easier it will be for Rome to regain her footing and become the Queen of Europe and of the world. Rompuy also said that it creates unbreakable ties. This is an astounding admission. These Jesuit-trained leaders are very connected to each other and to Europe through the Jesuits. What's happening in one place can be coordinated behind the scenes by the invisible hand of the Jesuits in other places. Please understand what this means. It means that there is something going on behind the scenes that is driving the progress of Europe towards its prophetic destiny. It's not just on the surface. The Jesuits are intimately involved. No doubt they communicate with these leaders on an ongoing basis. No doubt they often counsel them what to do and how to plan and act in terms of building up the European concept to which they are all dedicated. Note also that he says that the world has changed, and it certainly has. Whereas at one time the Jesuits were banned from many countries for their wicked deeds and manipulations, now they are everywhere. Whereas they were almost universally discredited and desecrated, they are now so well received that world leaders can speak about their connections to the Jesuits openly. Herman Van Rompuy refers to this group of Euro elites as the Jesuits International. Just think about that. There is a group of rulers in Europe, or mighty men as the Bible calls them, that are all connected by a Jesuit bond, a Jesuit relationship that ties them together in a determined plan to restore Roman Catholic power to Europe and eventually the world. And Rompuy calls this Jesuits International. This is significant. These men are in the position to support the goals of the European Union to resurrect the Holy Roman Empire. Van Rompuy, Barroso, Monti, and Rajoy are frequent visitors at papal audiences. They stay connected to the Vatican, the Pope, and other top church leaders. And while we cannot say for sure what Rompuy meant when he said these four men were part of this Jesuits International Club, but perhaps he was admitting that underneath their outward titles and responsibilities, they are in fact Jesuits themselves. 
No wonder the Irish Jesuit news portrays the so-called blessed unity of these key leaders as a sign of hope. Obviously, they see this as a good thing for more Jesuits, or at least Jesuit-trained leaders, to be in control of key institutions in Europe. These leaders represent the European Council, which is the top political entity of Europe, the European Central Bank, which controls the money supply, and the nations with the third and fourth largest economies in the Eurozone. Note that the nation of Germany with the largest economy, though it is not controlled by a Jesuit-trained leader, the Chancellor, Angela Merkel, is working very unitedly with the Roman Catholic Jesuit-trained leaders of Europe to accomplish their purpose. Of course, she's doing this in the interest of Germany, but it is also greatly benefiting Rome. But what Rompuis said is only part of what he knows. Listen to what else he said about his friends in Euro leadership. He was speaking at a farewell dinner at his alma mater for one of its professors. Today, Mario Draghi, Mario Monti, and myself, he said, are all three alumni from the Jesuits. Then he said, back to basics. What do all these leaders have in common? They all have a Jesuit-educated mind concerning Europe. They all want the same thing, a Europe dominated by the Vatican. So the president of the European Council, the most powerful political entity in Europe, is a man trained by the Jesuits. The president of the European Central Bank is a man who is trained by the Jesuits. And the prime minister of Italy is also a man trained by the Jesuits. But that isn't all. Jose Manuel Barroso, whom Rompuy knows well, and who is the president of the European Commission, was trained at Georgetown University, the most prestigious and oldest university in America. He also has many honorary degrees, including one from Georgetown itself. And though Jean-Claude Juncker does not appear to be educated by the Jesuits, he is a Roman Catholic with a Roman Catholic vision for what Europe should become. What this reveals to us is that there is a powerful force hidden behind the leaders of the European Union. They are out in the open with it, mostly, and it wouldn't surprise us if many other leaders of Europe have been trained by this most discreet and wide-ranging group of men. There's another development that should be added in here so that you can see more clearly where Europe is heading. For many years, France and Germany were the two main leaders of Europe. France was constantly in a struggle with Germany for preeminence, and while ever France was cooperative with Germany, they got along great, particularly under the most recent past President Nicolas Sarkozy. But with the rise of its new president, François Hollande, France now has a different attitude toward the European Union, and the result is that Germany is shifting away from France, which has moved the center of gravity toward Italy. In other words, France is being marginalized, and Italy is taking her place as the best companion to Germany. Angela Merkel, the Chancellor of Germany, Mario Monti, the Prime Minister of Italy, and Mario Draghi, the President of the European Central Bank, are now working closely together to the exclusion of France, and have now set out the course for EU economic policy. Both Mario Draghi and Mario Monti are Italians, who have a long history with the Italian government and with the Catholic Church. In other words, the three of them have worked together, mostly without France, to move Europe and its economy and politics, its levers of power, closer to Vatican control. What did Herman Van Rompuy, the most powerful politician, mean by the term back to basics? 
No doubt Rompuy and his clique of Jesuit-trained colleagues are working to bring the whole European Union back to its historic roots, back to its basics, bound and controlled by the Roman Catholic faith. For the Roman Catholic Church, going back to basics in Europe would certainly be something they want. Herman van Rompuy, the most powerful EU politician, was once a central banker in Belgium. He is an economist, one of the merchants of the earth, and wants to restore Europe to the Vatican. He was hand-picked for the role as head of the council by Vicomte d'Avignon, a leading Roman Catholic EU Federalist. The Vicomte is a top leader of the Bilderberg Group who plans their meetings. He is a noble of Europe's elite and has huge influence. He was the one who oversaw the adoption of the euro. He worked behind the scenes to manipulate Europe's future. Van Rompuy regularly attends the secret Bilderberg and Trilateral Commission meetings. So they know each other well. For Rompuy to say what he said about his colleagues and the Jesuits clearly reveals the hidden hand behind these leaders. And a little digging into the history of these other leaders is also very revealing. Mario Monti, for instance, has made such an impact on Italy as its prime minister that he is compared to Cincinnatus, savior of ancient Rome, wrote the Irish Jesuit press. For about a year, Mario Monti was the European chairman of the Trilateral Commission, an infamous secret society dedicated to global governance. Incidentally, Jean-Claude Trichet, the former head of the European Central Bank, succeeded him as the European chairman of the Trilateral Commission. It is interesting to note that the leaders of Europe rotate jobs at various institutions, organizations, and nations, but they're all involved in the same secret societies. Jesus gives us a true picture of what is happening. Jesus told the parable of the wheat and the tares. When it was discovered that tares were sown among the wheat, Jesus said, Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Matthew 13, verse 30. Now listen to what is written in Manuscript Releases, volume 20, page 286. I have been permitted to look upon these secret societies, their feasts, their order, their works, and my prayer has been, hide them from my sight forever. Let me not understand more. One thing I do know, that those who remain in connection with them will be burned up with the bundles of tares, one with them in the last days. That's quite a statement when you think about the very ones who are now managing the affairs of nations in the interests of the secret societies, including the Jesuits. They are being bound up in bundles to be burned. These societies control them. That's serious, my friends. One day they will be confronted with their evil plans. One day God is going to punish spiritual Babylon, of which they are a part. Listen to what the book Testimonies for the Church, Volume 6, page 242, has to say. The enemy has used the chain of dependence to draw men together. They have united to destroy God's image in man, to counterwork the gospel by perverting its principles. They are represented in God's word as being bound in bundles to be burned. Satan is uniting his forces for perdition. Wouldn't you say that's what's happening in Europe right now? How about other places in the world? Couldn't that be said about many nations and regions of the world as well? Here's another statement from This Day with God, page 163. 
The inhabitants of the world, under Satan's leadership, are binding up bundles ready to be burned. We have no time, not a moment, to lose. The judgments of God are in the land, and those who stand obstinate, unconvinced by the warnings that God sends, will be bound up in bundles ready to be burned. Do you think that is describing what's happening in Europe with the leaders involved in secret societies and binding the people and nations in huge bundles called the European Union, the European Economic Community, or whatever? Oh, I certainly do, and I'm sure you can see it too. Let's think a little more about these leaders for a few more moments. Mario Monti, his biographer says, is a cast-iron Catholic, a man considered so religiously and economically orthodox that his office at Milan's prestigious Bocconi University, where he is still rector or president, was nicknamed the Tabernacle. He seems to live by Ignatius Loyola's dictum, gentle in manner, strong in deed. The highly trusted Mario Monti is the unelected Prime Minister of Italy and has worked hard to bring Italy's finances under austerity to prevent the Roman Catholic nation closely tied to the Vatican from economic disaster. This man is one of the top elites of Europe. He's involved in several think tanks, including one he founded, as well as the Bilderberg Group and the Trilateral Commission. Needless to say, this Jesuit-trained Roman Catholic is very important to Europe's future. Mario Draghi was trained by the Jesuits in Rome at the premier Jesuit school formerly known as the Roman College. This is the school that Ignatius Loyola himself started in 1551. Monti has few family ties and is now head of the European Central Bank. He was head of Italy's treasury for a decade and is one of Europe's most powerful financiers. He's one of the merchants of the earth, as the Bible calls them. Men like Mario Draghi often hide behind closed doors and operate in private boardrooms. The Financial Times said his rigorous education at Rome's Jesuit school instilled a cautious approach to the world. How more suited to the task can a man be? Mario Draghi is ideally situated to serve the Jesuits' purpose to manipulate the money supply of the nations that use the euro. Mariano Rajoy was trained for more than 10 years in Jesuit secondary schools. He has been a prominent leader in Spanish politics and is now the elected prime minister. Though he's not one of the leaders of Europe overall, he is now prime minister of the nation with the fourth largest economy in the eurozone. So let us think about the prophetic consequences of all this. Here is an often repeated quote from Great Controversy, page 581. God's word has given warning of the impending danger. Let this be unheeded, and the Protestant world will learn what the purposes of Rome really are, only when it is too late to escape the snare. She is silently growing into power. Her doctrines are exerting their influence in legislative halls, in the churches, and in the hearts of men. Do you think that Rome is now influencing those in legislative positions of Europe? Of course they are. And I might add that Herman Van Rompuy thinks so too, apparently. In fact, he is quite enthusiastic about the fact that three top leaders of Europe, as well as José Manuel Barroso, President of the European Commission, and Mariano Rajoy, Prime Minister of Spain, and who knows how many others, have been trained by the Jesuits and that they are all called to such a time as this to solve the economic crisis that has roiled Europe for longer than anyone would have imagined in 2008 when the Lisbon Treaty was signed 
sealed, and delivered to Rome. But more than that, their united vision is to put the Vatican back on the throne of Europe. I'll keep reading from Great Controversy, page 581. This next part is about the consequences of a resurrected Europe on God's faithful people, particularly those who honor his holy Sabbath day and refuse to go along with the Papal Sunday. She is piling up her lofty and massive structures in the secret recesses of which her former persecutions will be repeated. You see, it's not just about resurrecting the Holy Roman Empire as a political, economic, and even military structure. It is also about reimposing Rome's religion as the faith of the resurrected empire, and it will be implemented by force on Europe's unsuspecting citizens. But not just in Europe. Rome aims to force it on the whole world. Five Jesuit-trained leaders in top European roles may only be the tip of the iceberg, but it is clear that the wicked woman of Revelation 17 is quickly mounting the beast. This is spiritual Babylon, with very practical impact. But it will not succeed, ultimately. God will bring an end to it and destroy it forever. The Jesuits have been masters at manipulating Europe into the lap of Rome. They make movements that you and I can only begin to imagine. Here is the rest of the quote from Great Controversy, page 581. Stealthily and unsuspectedly she is strengthening her forces to further her own ends when the time shall come for her to strike. All that she desires is vantage ground, and this is already being given her. Is Rome being given vantage ground? She certainly is. When the Vatican has such dedicated people in top positions around Europe, controlling the money and controlling the politics, what more can she ask? These men are planning to give their power and strength to the Vatican. Listen to how the Bible puts it in Revelation 17:13. These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength to the beast. Do you think that one mind has anything to do with the Jesuits working behind the scenes to create that informed direction? Of course, others will join them, for the Bible is referring to a worldwide network of kings and rulers, of mighty men and merchants of the earth, and they have one ultimate purpose, though they may not realize the implications of it. And no matter how righteous they think their cause may be, they unite for one purpose. It is found in verse 14 of Revelation 17. These shall make war with the Lamb. That's Jesus. They're making war with Christ. Now that's a losing war, praise God, but they are making it nonetheless. Do you remember how I pointed out that the ultimate goal of Rome in placing herself on the throne of the world above all other earthly powers is all about imposing Rome's religion on the whole world, especially Sunday worship? Well, this is in direct opposition to the law of the Lamb. The Ten Commandments, including the Fourth Commandment concerning God's seventh-day Sabbath, Jesus said that the law would never pass away. Here it is. Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. That's from Matthew 5.18. Not all is yet fulfilled. We are not yet in the kingdom of heaven. There is still much to be fulfilled, particularly in prophecy. So the law of God is still in force. Most Christians would not argue that the law against stealing is still in force as is the law against adultery, as well as laws against idolatry and taking God's name in vain. And if those laws are still in force, so is the Sabbath commandment. Notice verse 18. 
Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. These men may be mighty men on earth, but they are not going to be great in the kingdom of heaven. They won't even make it there unless they repent. This verse also tells us that the law of God, the Ten Commandments, is front and center in the issues of the last days. The law of God is vital to overcoming the beast that makes war with the Lamb. And praise God, there is more power with the Lamb. Revelation 17:14 continues and informs us that the Lamb shall overcome them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. I want to be with the Lamb, don't you? Herman Van Rompuy and his clique of Jesuit-trained mighty men will ultimately not succeed in their plans, for Christ will overcome them. What they do now is permitted by God so that they will fulfill these prophecies. Rome works behind the scenes as well as out front. She has always worked by degrees, gradually insinuating herself in the affairs of politics, economics, education, and military rule, so far as God allows. She spares no expense to achieve her purposes. She stoops to the lowest low to rise to the highest heights. This is the way Rome works. Note what happened in the early centuries when the papacy was just in its infancy. This is also from Great Controversy, page 49. Little by little, at first in stealth and silence, and then more openly as it increased in strength and gained control of the minds of men, the mystery of iniquity carried forward its deceptive and blasphemous work. And that is exactly how it is happening today. And it's always been that way. The Jesuits secretly infiltrated schools, churches, and government institutions in an effort to strengthen their influence. And now, as we near the end, we can see them working, not so openly that they are exposed to all, but openly enough so that the kings of the earth are able to understand their moves. Also, those who understand the Bible and its prophecies will be able to see their plans and prepare spiritually for what is coming upon the whole world. My friends, I want to be on the Lord's side. I want to be an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of my testimony. Don't you want that too? We are living very close to the end of time. The final movements will be rapid ones. God's plan is for His people to shine like the brightness of the sun in the midst of all the darkness that spiritual Babylon will bring. May God's grace and blessing be with you. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, how grateful we are for the Word of God which helps us interpret the signs of the times as they unfold in our world. We are astonished at how open world leaders are with their agenda, yet it is veiled in nice-sounding, pious language. Please help us to bond with Jesus Christ so that we are not bonded in those bundles to be burned. May your Holy Spirit descend on us today so that we can be purified by His power. May Jesus reign in our hearts through that great agency of heaven. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
We hope you've been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us, and thank you for your support. The music you have just heard is called He Hideth My Soul, played by Henry Higgins. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Day by Day. This beautiful CD is available from Keep the Faith Ministry.